You know, today as we are in Canadian Thanksgiving, I realize not everybody watching is from Canada, but here in Canada, it's Thanksgiving weekend and Canadian Thanksgiving is a bit different than American Thanksgiving. You know, a lot of us grew up uh, in Canada watching Canadian TV, but also a lot of American TV. I mean, you know, uh, the United States culture is so big that we get a lot of it here. And there's a lot of Canadians that don't even know where our Thanksgiving came from. They assume it's about the pilgrims and the natives, but that's not really our story. And, and not to get into it too deeply here, but you know, the Canadian Thanksgiving has its own uh, history, has its own uh, understanding of, of where it began. And, and really there's not one Genesis point. There's not one event. There was many, but ultimately what it came down to is that some people said we need to have a day where we give thanks to God. We need to have a day where we humble our hearts before God and as a nation give thanks for all he's done. The reason it comes at this time of year, I mean, is pretty simple. It's harvest time, you know, and, and that's a great time to give thanks to God when you see the harvest coming in. And a lot of us are so detached from how we get our food. We, we, we just show up to the grocery store and get it. We're so detached from the process that there doesn't seem to be anything different about harvest time than any other time. But really, if you're in the field, if you are growing the food and, and bringing it in, that harvest time is all that you've been preparing for, all that you've been waiting for, all that you've been sowing for and working for. Now, this is the time to bring it in, and it's a time to give thanks to God for the harvest. But there's never a season in the year, there's never a season in your life where you can or should be ungrateful. It's, there's never a time where you could say, well, when the harvest comes, then I'll be thankful. No, every season, every time in life is a time for gratitude, is a time for thankfulness. There's no law or rule that says we have to talk about thankfulness because it's Thanksgiving weekend. But I would tell you, I don't think we talk about it enough. I don't think it's focused on enough. It is so foundational to the Christian life. Thanksgiving. In fact, if you were to do a quick search in your Bibles, you know, it's easy now. A lot of times we have an app on our phone. Try it. Put Thanksgiving, put thankfulness, put thanks, thankful. Put those words in and see what comes up. You're going to be surprised that it is not just here and there. It is all through the scripture, especially in the New Testament. And here as believers, I want to talk about unplugging from the, the culture that we're in, unplugging from the worldview we're fed daily and begin to plug back into God's way of looking at things. Begin to plug back into the kingdom way of looking at things. Begin to see it as he sees it. And, and, and that's not always easy because whether we know it or not, we spend a lot more time in taking the world's perspective than God's perspective. That's why it's so important, believers, that you have your Bible as part of your life, not just on Sundays and not just even during devotional times. It's, it's important that you are praying, not just when it's time to pray, but as the Bible says, pray without stopping. This is why it's important that you have other believers that you speak to, not just about um, immediate issues, but really about the things of God and what God's doing in your life, because the time is here where we need to be more filled up with him than we are with other things. And I know we have our, our streaming platforms and I, I know we have advertisements shoved in our faces, you know, 24 hours a day. I know we are surrounded by people who may not believe like we do. And so a lot of times we kind of adopt the culture that we're in. But here it's very clear that God tells us what kind of culture 
is going to be the culture of the world. When people turn from God, here's what it's going to look like. In 2 Timothy 3, Paul talks about it. He says, in the last days, difficult times will come. And here's what it'll look like. You know, he doesn't say difficult times will come because of natural disasters or difficult times will come because of overpopulation. Sure, those things are around. Sure, those are factors. And in fact, Jesus talked about natural things happening as the earth groans for the return of Christ. But Paul is talking more about the state of the culture, the state of people, the state of hearts. Just as Jesus said, in the last days, the hearts of many would grow cold and lawlessness would increase and, and the people would betray one another. Well, Paul says this to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He says, but realize this, that in the last days, these are the days we're in, guys. He's talking about us. In the last days, difficult times will come. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips without self-control, brutal haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they've denied its power. Avoid people like these. You know, what's so interesting is that, that when we read this list, we rank them. You know, we rank what probably should be at the top of the list. Stay away from this. And then we put somewhere at the bottom, well, these are things that just don't seem as bad. Admit it. When you heard disobedient to parents, sometimes it's like, well, does that really fit in that list? It does. Because we're in a culture where honor is not valued. We're in a culture where honor is actually looked down upon. You know, it's, it's, it's looked on as, as, as old, even damaging at times. And so, you know, things like malicious gossips, where we say, well, I mean, come on, to a point, we all got to talk, you know, we, we rank things. And it's interesting to me that this list is not a rank from one to 10 or, or whatever. It's not a list of worst to best or best to worst. It's just all symptoms of what's going on. And here he puts ungrateful right next to unholy, ungrateful, unholy. Not saying that the other things are uh, further away for any reason, but it's interesting that when we think of ungrateful, we don't really think of that on the level as unholy. We don't really think of that on the level as hateful or irreconcilable, but it's there. In fact, in Romans chapter one, the apostle Paul lays out the case for this is how society crumbles. This is how humanity descends into darkness. He paints a picture, not of one culture or one group of people, but of all humanity, how we all fall in to the depths of depravity because of turning away from the source of light. We turn to darkness because we've turned away from light. In Romans chapter one, he says this and, and uh, paints the picture quite clearly of how this happens. You know, uh, when, he, when he does it, a lot of times I've read Romans 1 and, and you know, when I first would read it, I, I would just assume, stop at the end of the chapter. And so it just looked like certain people have problems. But if you go to Romans chapter 2, Paul says, you know, you have no right to say these people are doing this. He says, you've done it too. And he begins to build the case for all of us needing the mercy of God. But I want you to see how he paints this picture of society descending, of, of, of the, the decline and the collapse of humanity. Here he says, and not to depress you, because though there may be decline and, decla uh, decline and collapse, 
We know that Jesus came to redeem what had been lost. We know there's resurrection power. We know the gospel is the answer. God did not give up on humanity. In fact, John 3.16 says it clearly. Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. This is the gospel and and, and God did not give up on humanity when humanity gave up on God. But here's what he says. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 18, he says, For the wrath of God. In other words, the, the righteous judgment of God. It doesn't mean God lost his temper. But it means that there's, there's a cause and effect. And, and because God is holy, that there's the sin and unrighteousness. It goes against the very holiness of God. And so wrath is not God losing his temper. This, the wrath of God is, the, is righteous judgment. It says it's revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. That means every human being has something inside them that knows there's a God. And we can suppress it, and we can squash it down, and we can fill our hearts and minds with other things that sort of kind of uh, try to replace this vacuum, but you never can. He says it's evident in us because God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that we are without excuse. Isn't that amazing? That means on your last trip to the mountains or, or in your trip to the canola fields or as you're walking around Bud Miller Park and seeing the, the fall colors, that you should be able to look at creation and see the invisible attributes of God. Th- that you should be able to see his nature, his character. That you should see the artist in his art. But it says this, it's been evident, it's, it's been made known But it says in verse 21, even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile or useless or vain in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged or traded in the glory of an incorruptible God. For an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over. He gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Do you see what happens? The beginning of all of this is that we stopped giving honor and thanks to God for what belonged to him, what was created by him, what began with him. We stopped giving honor and thanks. And then it says our hearts were darkened, our foolish imagination was darkened, that that when we stopped giving honor and thanks to God, do you see it? We stopped seeing God. When we stopped acknowledging God, you stopped recognizing God. The great danger is Not that we would outwardly just say, I hate you, God. The greatest danger is that we forget God himself. That uh, We wouldn't just say, I'm angry at God. It's what we're seeing now. People say, there is no God. It's not that they found some better explanation. It's that our hearts and our imaginations have been darkened. 
You know, Paul said that they, what happens when, when your heart gets darkened and your imagination gets darkened, that you no longer can see what's obvious, that God, I mean, he starts out by saying God made it obvious. God made it obvious. Even a dummy can look and say, wow, there must be a God. But it says the, 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 uh, as we descend into ungratefulness, as we stop giving thanks and honor, something happens. The switch is turned off and we no longer can see what's right in front of us. And he says when this happens, if you were to read the rest of the chapter, it, start, it just starts talking about everything that goes wrong. In fact, it's everything that just goes wrong with us and with humanity and with society. It all collapsed when we stopped giving thanks. And he doesn't even say stop giving thanks for the latest harvest or stop giving thanks for the the new child that was born. He even says stop giving thanks for the things created around you. Maybe the things that you just started to take for granted. You know, he begins to tell us that When worship is corrupted, we're corrupted. Because what happens is they started to worship created things rather than the creator. And you might say, well, we don't build stone idols anymore. We don't build statues to gods. We don't go to temples and burn incense in front of false gods. We're enlightened. We don't believe in that stuff anymore, those superstitions. So that's not really the issue here. Of course it is. We may not classically build an altar and call it a god, But of course our culture, our culture is so consumer driven. We are a consumerism culture and we build our own altars and our own tabernacles and temples to things. We call them arenas, we call them malls. We we build these, these, our biggest structures now, our greatest structures, our monuments to our own consumerism. And and, and I'm not saying even that it's wrong to go to the, the, the mall or that it's wrong to go to a game. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying when it replaces God, when things replace, when created things replace the creator, everything goes wrong. And whether that thing that we're worshiping is ourselves, other people, or celebrities, or whether that thing that we're worshiping is that latest thing that we need, or that, that if I get that, it'll make me happy. Listen, we've got a whole advertising system that's built around the concept to convince you that you're not happy, that you don't have joy, but if you had this, you would be happy. Until you buy it, and then they convince you you're not as happy as you could be. Don't you see that they're directly telling you these things will fill the holes that only God can fill? There's nothing I've ever bought that's brought me joy. It may have brought me pleasure. It may have made me you know, happy or, or, or uh, you know, feel good for a while, but it's never, ever come close to replacing the joy of the Lord, the, the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. It's, it's never touched the deepest places inside of my own self, and it never could. And this is our, we're reading this scripture from thousands of years ago as if we're reading a newspaper from today. And The reason is, is because humanity may have gotten more technology. We may have built on past knowledge, but we are are the same creatures. We haven't changed. We're still humans. And humans without God will fall into the same traps over and over again. God created us to know him. The number one need in humanity is for God. We can't replace it. And we'll try. And, and, and from that comes all sorts of addiction and all sorts of brokenness. But 
At the end of the day, every human being needs God, needs our creator. We were created with that need. It's not a bug, it's a feature. We were designed for it. We need connection. And we know we need connection with people, even though that's sort of being broken down with today's, you know, uh, virtual systems. But even then, we know we need to connect in some way or another, even if it's over an app. We know we need connection with people. And often that connection is so shallow that it, it doesn't really satisfy. But what we really need, we need connection with people. But that connection with people is supposed to be a branch of a greater connection, which is our connection to God. So today, as I talk about Thanksgiving, it all comes down to this. Thanksgiving is worship. And worship is foundational. It's vital. It's just as important as the air you breathe, if not more so. Because someday you're going to stop breathing air, but you'll never stop worshiping. So as we come into a season where, thank God, even our country acknowledges this is a day for giving thanks We recognize that in our own hearts, we don't always give thanks even on Thanksgiving. In fact, days like Thanksgiving and Christmas that are meant to be days of remembering what was done for us become days of consuming more and, 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 you know, saying how much can we eat and how much can we watch and how much can we get. Once again, I'm not attacking your family celebration, but I am saying there's something in our hearts that's got to happen, not just on a holiday, not just on one day of the week, but every day. You know, have you ever noticed, like if there were two versions of you, I I realize that uh, there are people that have disorders or diseases that that keep them at a very low energy level, but but let's just say all things equal, uh, you, you know, you have no real syndrome or issue, but there's just another copy of you. And, and let's just say that, that both copies have the exact same makeup, the exact same DNA, the exact same issues, but one of them, you know, you exercise, you eat right. The other one, you just wait for a magical burst of energy. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. You ever had those bursts of energy where you suddenly feel like, man, I could get up and do something. And you have them a lot more when you're younger. And then as you get older, you feel less and less that way. It takes more effort to do things. And you say, well, you know, if you were to live a life where you said, when I feel energetic, then I'm going to go do something. I just don't feel like it. Well, you'd know that the more that happens, the less and less you're going to have these magical bursts of energy. Because really, energy is not a magic thing. It's not a fairy. It's not, a, it's not some sort of thing that sparks in you. It's a natural, physiological thing. It's something that energy is not unknowable. It's very scientific. We know where, you, where it comes from. We know how a healthy body uses it. And so, you know, a, a somebody that's eating right and exercising, they're going to find that they have energy when they need it. They're going to find that they can call on their body and, and their body answers because you've trained it, because you've fed it correctly. But someone who's just saying, well, when I feel it, then I'll do something with it. That person's going to descend into more and more unhealthiness. It's going to be hard for them to do basic things at some point. You know, that's the way we are with gratitude, with Thanksgiving. A lot of us just, you know, we have these bursts of like sitting around the Christmas tree with our family and all of a sudden we get teary-eyed and we realize how blessed we are. Or, Or you go to the mountains and you see the beauty of the, for instance, the Canadian Rockies and you go, wow, you feel small and in awe of, of God's creation and you feel grateful. But you can't just rely on those moments where you might feel grateful. The truth is, if we don't cultivate thanksgiving in our life, you'll have less and less of those moments. 
Those moments are not mysterious. They're not just, they don't magically pop up. Those moments are really a reaction to the thanksgiving and the gratefulness that you've cultivated in your own heart. And when I cultivate thankfulness, when I make a habit of being thankful, you know the scripture says over and over again, give thanks, be thankful. It says nothing about feeling thankful. It says nothing about reacting to something good. It's always about choosing to give thanks, to be thankful. Now giving thanks, that's not a feeling, that's not um, um, just sort of an emotion. Giving thanks is the action of giving thanks. And almost always, it involves your mouth. It involves you saying thank you, you giving praise to God. James says, is anybody among you joyful? You should give praise. I mean, he says, let me tell you, if you're feeling great, give praise to God, sing praise to God, sing a song. You know, this is a Christian discipline. And how many of you know that your life and the future of your life is determined by your daily habits? These habits may, you know, sometimes we just relegate it to the world of self-help, but this isn't it. As a disciple of Jesus Christ, the habits we create, the, the lifestyle we are building is based on the word of God. It's based on his instruction because God knows he's the one that created you. He wrote the user manual. He knows that the key to your joy, the key to your peace, the key to your satisfaction is to know him and be joyful and satisfied in him. And thanksgiving puts everything back where it's meant to be. In Romans 1, we saw how everything got jumbled. In 2 Timothy 3, we saw the symptoms of all that jumbling. But how everything gets put back is worship, right worship, thanksgiving to God, beginning to develop a thankful heart. And that's, there's no quick step. There's no five quick steps to getting it done. It's about every day looking for what God's doing not just for what he's doing today, but my goodness, looking for what he's done. It's about looking for it. It's about choosing to acknowledge it and acting on it. You know, Jesus said about the woman that anointed his, uh, that washed his feet and anointed his head with perfume. He said, he said that this woman was aware because she'd been forgiven much. She loved much. She was aware of the goodness of God. And you know, everybody in the room had the opportunity to be forgiven much. Nobody in the room was righteous on their own. Everybody needs massive forgiveness. We understand that. In fact, if you went to Romans 2, it would say nobody here is exempt from this. We all need this. But everybody in that room looked at that woman as a bad woman with a bad background. And they just assumed, of course, she needs more forgiveness than we do. Jesus said because she understands and recognizes her need for forgiveness, she's got an abundance of love. Do you understand that because of her gratitude to Jesus, because of her thankfulness, she acted on it. She gave thanks in the best way she knew how. And it was because of her awareness of what God had done for her that she had an overflowing amount of love. But those same religious leaders that should have been leading the charge in love, that should have been the most loving people on the planet because they knew the word of God, were some of the most judgmental, hateful, self-righteous people because they didn't recognize what God had done for them or they took it for granted. And I want to tell you, you don't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way for you. You know, when we pray for our food, 
When I was little, I, my parents raised me right. They raised me, this is about giving thanks to God. All things are sanctified by the word and prayer, that, that this is a time of thanksgiving and blessing, just as Jesus did for the loaves and the fishes. He gave thanks and he blessed it. But somewhere along the line, I just thought it was about like, you know, we need to pray for our food so we don't die. You know, and I know the scripture says, and it's true, God says to his people, I am the Lord that blesses your bread and your water and I take sickness from the midst of you. I understand that praying, for, praying over your food, blessing it, you know, God can do something miraculous there. God will do miraculous things and, and he will bless even what's not that great. But I kind of got it twisted more than anything. That prayer over my food was not really about protecting me from some poison. It was about giving thanks, saying, God, my parents may have paid for this food or I may have went and got it, but you gave this to me. That's the greatest part about it. Somewhere along the line, when I was a little kid, there was one of our uh, children's ministry teachers just said, they told the story about, uh, they were telling us how important it was to pray over your food. And they told a story about somebody that didn't, that forgot to pray over the food and they went to a restaurant and then they got food poisoning. I don't think they should have told that story. It, it, it kind of took things out of context. I understand where they're coming from. But as a little kid, I'm thinking that every restaurant I go to is trying to kill me. I'm thinking that, you know, like there's poison everywhere. And, and when you hear food poisoning as a kid, you don't think of little, uh, you know, you don't think of microbiological things. You don't think of these little germs or, 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 or anything like that. You think poison. You think someone's trying to kill you. And I was like, you know, we need to pray over our food so we don't die. Well, while God is a protective God, and, I'm, and I know that praying over our food, especially in places, we've eaten food that, that broke all the health codes, and we blessed it in the name of Jesus, and I believe God sustained us. But as a kid, I forgot the main part, which was just giving thanks. You know, we had a kid at kids' camp. He gave thanks, and the cooks at our church kids' camp had done an amazing job. Better food than you should ever have the right to expect at a camping experience. But they cooked amazing food. And one of the kids said the blessing and gave thanks. And as he was going on, and the prayer went on for a long time, he started saying, Lord, thank you that you take all the toxins and the poisons out of this food. And we kind of glanced over at the cooks who had spent all this time laboring over it. And we're trying not to laugh because here's this kid basically saying their food is poisonous and toxic. toxic. But, you know, even in that heart, that little kid didn't know any better. But, you know... God understood, but it's kind of funny because it became all about, for a lot of kids, we just thought we were praying over the food because we needed to protect ourselves. And I thank God for godly parents that teach you. It's not about, it's not just about some sort of blessing to remove the toxins. It's actually more about your heart remaining thankful because you eat how many meals a day? It's very easy to take that for granted that God put that food on your plate. I don't care how much you're making at your job. I don't care, you know, how you got your groceries paid for. God gave you that food. And God says to the Israelites, one of the greatest dangers that they're going to face when food stops falling out of the sky and when they begin to step into a land where they grow their own crops and they plant vineyards and they have wells of water, is he says, at some point, you're going to forget that I put this stuff here for you. And you're going to start to say, I made this, I did this. And he says, it's a trap. Maybe you've gone through a season in your life where 
food was falling from the sky, where miracles were happening in very obvious ways. Thank God for those miracles. Thank God for the manna. Thank God for the supernatural provision. But don't stop thanking God when things seem to get back to normal because that's still the hand of the Lord providing for you. So even as my son gives thanks for our food, every time I try to remind myself, thank you, God. Thank you, Father. You gave us this food. And as he says to his people, he said, don't say with my power and my hand I made this wealth, for it is God who gives you the power to create wealth. Even as you're going to your job, even as God is giving you ideas, even as your investments are paying off, it doesn't matter. However you're getting your income, however you are being provided for, it is the hand of God. And there is a disease that's called never enough. And that disease has very little to do with how much is in your account. That disease has everything to do with what's in your heart. Because there are millionaires who say, I don't have enough. There are billionaires who say it's not enough. And they've never filled the hole in their heart because it is a bottomless pit. It's, or it's a purse with holes. It can't be filled. No matter how much they get, it's never enough. They're never content. They're never satisfied. They never have joy. They never have peace. God says it doesn't have to be that way for you. Begin to cultivate thankfulness. Begin to say, Lord, straighten my heart out so that I see you as the top and the foundation. You are the beginning and you're the end. You gave this and you are the point of all of this that I want to be a person that recognizes God. You know, he says his mercies are new every morning. Do you recognize those new mercies? Are you looking for them? Are you seeing the grace he's giving you to walk through your day? Are you looking at things that you've taken for granted? Because even the Israelites began to take for granted and complain about the heavenly food that was falling from the sky. They got bored with it. How many times do we get bored with what God has done? And it's a result of us not choosing to give thanks. There was a story in the Gospels about Jesus healing 10 people with leprosy. And he told them to go. And, and, and before they felt any different in their bodies, he said, go to the priest and present yourself. And they'll certify. They will, they will check it off and find out that you have been cleansed of leprosy. And on their way, on their way to do what Jesus said, they experienced that miracle. They saw it. They felt it change in their bodies. But only one man chose to turn back and give thanks to Jesus. Nine others kept going. One guy turned to give thanks, and Jesus said, where are the others? Why is it only you who chose to give glory to God? Why is it only you that turned back? Thank God for the nine who got a miracle. But that one, he says, and he was made whole. If we really want to see wholeness in our life, it's not just about the miracles. It's not just about the great moments. It's about the thanksgiving in the miracles and in the normal, in every place, cultivating thankfulness in, in your hearts. And guys, I want to tell you, if you will make this a practice daily, if you will look for what God has done, if you will choose to acknowledge what he said he's done, if you will begin to give thanks for things maybe you've got bored with or tired of, then you're going to see springs come out of your life. You know, Paul says, don't be anxious for anything. Don't be worried about anything, but in everything. But in everything, with prayer and supplication, with all kinds of prayer, make your requests known to God and the God of peace 
will, this God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. He'll, his peace will guard you. That peace will, will guard and protect your hearts and minds, even when anxiety and worry are coming in. But I, I skipped something that sometimes we'll just look over and, and skip past. He says, with your prayer and supplication, he says, give it with thanksgiving. When you are most anxious, when you are most worried, when you are most stressed, when you are most discouraged, he says, give it to God. Make your request known to God. Don't hold anything back. Pray about everything. But he says, do it with thanksgiving. Because when you begin to do it with thanksgiving, it begins to change the way you see everything. Your heart changes. God is put back where he belongs. There is a restructuring that brings a supernatural peace in your life. He says, even when you are feeling most anxious, don't stop giving thanks. That's when you need it the most. You know, the Bible says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. He tells us how. Let me just read it to you real quick. I was going to skip past this, but you know, it's too good to skip past. In Colossians chapter 3, he says this, beyond all things, this is the 3 verse 14, beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. It has nothing to do with whether you feel thankful, be thankful. How many of us are waiting to feel thankful? Stop waiting to feel thankful and be thankful. He says, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell in you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Do you see in, all, in those verses, he's got a lot of things that are going on, but the common thread that keeps popping up, be thankful. Thankfulness in your heart. Give thanks. Thankfulness is the, is, is the unifying thread here. It's what can't be dropped. Be thankful. What does a spirit-filled church look like? When we, a lot of times, we think this is what a spirit-filled church looks like. Things are crazy. Things are wild. Things are happening. And yes, a lot of times that's what it looks like. But here, his description of spirit-filled believers, one of the biggest evidences of a spirit-filled life is thankfulness. And what's interesting is we think, well, if it's a spirit-filled thing, then the Holy Spirit's making me thankful. No, he says, you, be thankful. Here's how you stay full. Here's how you stay full. If you're feeling empty, here's how you fill up. Be thankful. Express that thankfulness. Give thanks. Keep thankfulness in your heart cultivate it, and you're going to see the results of it. Before we close, I want to read you one final thing out of the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 4, verse 9, when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you our Lord and our God to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and because of your will they existed and were created. This is a song of eternity. And we often think 
In order to be thankful, I need to find the new thing God's done. But do you see this picture? In this picture, all of creation is giving thanks for God creating everything and for God holding everything together so it can still exist. Do you see that Thanksgiving is not about waiting for the next miracle? It's about celebrating and being thankful for the things you're, the miracles you're living in right now. It is a miracle that we exist. It is a miracle that God has created all these things. And if when I say that, it doesn't hit very hard, you kind of go, huh? Then I would suggest to you that this is an area of your heart that needs some work. Because it seems like they get pretty fired up about it. In heaven, in this great celebration, in this awe-inspiring experience in the presence of God, they find one of the greatest things to thank God over. All honor and all glory and all power. You deserve it, Lord, because you created everything. Remember in Romans, that was the foundation of what we stopped giving thanks for was that he created everything. Get back to the place where your life is full of worship. And you begin to see God in everything he's created. And you begin to see God in everything you've received. And you begin to thank God in every circumstance. Not for everything, because not everything is from God. But in everything he's given you and in every circumstance, give thanks. There is not a circumstance where you can't give thanks. Give thanks. And watch how God changes your heart. And watch how God changes the atmosphere around you. Watch what God can do. Begin to be a part of what God is doing. Be thankful. I encourage you today to find this in your life, to find space, to make space for gratitude, to make space for giving thanks and giving glory. Let's get back to worship in spirit and in truth. Let's give God what he deserves. And I will tell you something. When we give God what he deserves, things are made right. That is the order of creation. And when things are made right and we find ourselves in the proper place and God in his proper place and created things in their proper place, things find their order. And when things are in order, we see the hand of God and we see the restoration of God restoring things that were broken and lost. Lives, hearts, minds, bodies. We see God at work. So let's do this, church. Let's give thanks.